Hello, everyone. My name is Maureen McDonald. I have been a holistic nurse for over 40 years, and I'm the founder of Millions Against Medical Mandates, and I'm your host of this program, Fiercely Pursuing the Truth. Today, I'd like to welcome my very special guest, Ronnie Cummings, to the show. We use the word fiercely in the title because getting to the truth and telling the truth these days is quite a challenge. So many roadblocks, cover-ups, and now unprecedented censorship. Ronnie Cummings has been in fierce pursuit of the truth for decades. And now your organization, Ronnie, is at the forefront of an incredible and positive revolution. Let me provide a little background. Uh, Ronnie Cummings is the founder and director of the Organic Consumers Association, OCA a nonprofit US-based network of over 2 million consumers dedicated to safeguarding organic standards and promoting a healthy, just, and regenerative system of food, farming, and commerce. Ronnie is the author of the, grass, uh, of the book, Grassroots Rising, I have right here. It's an amazing book. A Call to Action on Climate, Farming, Food, and a Green New Deal. He's also the co-author with Dr. Joseph Mercola, Mercola of a book that everyone, well, both books everyone has to read, but this is very, uh, very important in our current times. The Truth About COVID-19, Exposing the Great Reset, Lockdowns, Vaccine Passports, and the New Normal. Very, very powerful book. Thank you, Ronnie, for being here with us today. Good to be with you. So you are such a wealth of information and there's so many directions that we could head in with this conversation. Um, we could talk about the corruption of big agriculture, uh, the food industry, the poisoning of our planet by the chemical cartels, uh, the, global, the global COVID scam. Um, but I'd like to start with um, uh, the idea of just the concept of the difference between you started out with a focus on organic, and you've moved into the regenerative agriculture. And um, I just wanted you to explain that evolution. Um, I know that regenerative agriculture recycles carbon and nitrogen in the forests and grasslands and farms, but how did you make that transition, that leap from uh, organic focus to now regenerative focus? Well, when some of us first got involved in the organic movement <clears throat> in the late 60s, either going back to the land or starting food co-ops or natural food stores in cities, um, <clears throat> you know, we wanted, we wanted to promote organics because of, uh, we knew the benefits of health, of not having pesticides and, and toxic sewage sludge and uh, irradiation and so on on our food. But we, but we also wanted to uh, stop damaging the environment. I mean, Rachel Carson had written her book, Silent Spring in 1962, uh, much to the chagrin of Monsanto and the poison cartel. And so I grew up being aware of the damage of pesticides and chemical fertilizers uh, to the land. My grandparents were also uh, organic farmers in Southeast Texas. So, uh, but what we didn't understand all the first few decades of the modern organic movement as, as it spread and spread the ideas and the market and so on, uh, we didn't understand soil health uh, as well as we do now. And we didn't understand uh, global warming and the climate crisis uh, in the way that we do now. So about 12 years ago, uh, some of us in the organic community started talking about the, the connections between the fact that there's too much uh, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and the oceans and not nearly as much carbon in the soils and fertility in the soils as there used to be. That we used to have, you know, six trillion trees uh, on the uh, earth and now we've got three trillion. Uh, and we used to have a lot more family farmers and herds people and ranchers. So as we began to understand these issues, we realized that organic standards really didn't deal uh, in the way they should with soil health and climate health. Uh, 
And so we began uh, investigating and writing about this and, you know, noticing that, well, we got this growing climate movement over here, especially led by young people, uh, now a global movement, <clears throat> but they weren't talking about food and farming and land use, which have contributed at least half of the problem of too much carbon, carbon in the atmosphere, not enough in the soils and the plants. Mm -hmm. And then we noticed that the, obviously that the food movement, the organic movement, the fair trade movement, that we weren't talking enough about climate. And so in 1994, a group of us at the giant climate march in New York City, there were 400,000 of us there uh, to march. Uh, we launched an international network called Regeneration International. And our job that we set out in the beginning was we wanted to change the discussion across the globe on climate and on food and farming. We wanted the climate movement to start acknowledging how important land use is. And, the, and in, you know, in terms of global warming, we wanted people to understand that industrial agriculture is not a minor part of the problem, the climate problem, the environmental problem, the health problem, it's a major part. And we also wanted the food movement to start to break out of our silo and start communicating uh, with the uh, climate movement about how, okay, if we're going to solve this problem, yes, indeed, we have to convert as rapidly as possible to alternative renewable energy and energy conservation, uh, hopefully reducing emissions by at least 50% by 2030. But that other 50% uh, of emissions that are still going to be going on in 10 years, uh, we need to compensate for those by getting more, getting that carbon back down into the soil, into the plants, into the trees uh, where it used to be uh, before destructive land use practices and agriculture plowed up the prairies, cut down the trees, uh, sprayed poisonous chemicals like Roundup glyphosate. Uh, all over the place that retard a soil fertility. Right. Simultaneously, we realized that that we weren't emphasizing natural health as much in the organic community uh, as we needed to. That there was a direct relationship between uh, soil health, animal health, plant health, and human health. That there is a microbiome uh, in the soil directly connected to the microbiome in animals uh, and humans that needed to be repaired. So we set about developing this grand coalition, uh, Mercola Organic Consumers Association, International Federation of Organic Agriculture Movements, Vanana Shiva's Navdanya uh, movement. And we said, let's bring together the climate movement, the food and farming movement, and the natural health movement. And let's address this crisis, uh, which is certainly not just a crisis of the climate, although it's very frightening. Let's address the, the crisis of public health. Let's address the crisis of economic uh, development in rural areas. I mean, half the world are farmers or rural villagers, and most of them are living very close to the edge of poverty. That's the reason why so many people are forced to migrate. So we started building these uh, movements and we've continued uh, right up until 2019. We were making uh, some pretty good progress. And then uh, the COVID uh, pandemic. Let me, just say, let me just say before we get into COVID that my hat is off to you, Ronnie, for building that coalition and combining uh, people who are into climate change and and agriculture um, and and natural health because that is so needed today. And it was going to be a question I asked you later on, but I, I just want to ask you right now that that collaborative effort, I believe it's it's why we started Millions Against Medical Mandates to build collaboration in the vaccine risk aware and the health freedom movements. And now we're moving beyond those into um, you know, the enough movement, which I know you're participating in also, but honestly, um, this collaborative effort is key to our future. I, I personally think 
um, hate to be so frank, but I think we're screwed if we don't work together. And uh, we have such, uh, such big agendas and, and such big uh, tasks to accomplish. So tell, tell me how you, um, how you made that happen, how you were able to reach to, out to these different groups and bring them together under the umbrella of saving the planet and saving humanity. Well, what we noticed uh, from our global movement against Monsanto and genetically engineered foods and our, our campaigns to require labeling and proper safety testing of uh, GMOs was that there were people all over the world who felt the same way that we did. Uh, and so uh, as articles started appearing about the connection between uh, the carbon uh, too much carbon in the atmosphere and global warming and the climate crisis, uh, we, we were able to catalog all the writers and uh, advocates around the world that were speaking about this. So we reached out to all these people very consciously, uh, Vandana Shiva, uh, Hans Heron, uh, John Liu, uh, you know, people from China, people from Switzerland, people from Europe, people from Africa. And we said, look, we think the next stage of organic is organic and regenerative, mm -hmm. uh, but we need to educate the public about this. We need to identify the best practices all around the world that are already going on uh, in this regard. That is farming and food and farming that are not only sustainable, but organic and regenerative. And we need to highlight these best practices. And then we need to figure out how are we going to scale these up? Because it's one thing to have a bunch of great practitioners scattered, uh, you know, around the world. I mean, they're actually in every country of the world. There are these regenerative practices. Uh, you look even closer, every region in the United States, every region in most nations has practitioners who are really doing it right. Holistic management of farm animals you know, biodynamic and organic agriculture. The problem is no one knows about this typically exactly. outside of local areas. So exactly. we said, how are we gonna scale this up? And we thought briefly uh, in the United States uh, that we had uh, a candidate for president in 2020, uh, Bernie Sanders, we thought was gonna get the nomination. And so we put Bernie together with some leading organic mm -hmm. farmers especially from Iowa and the Midwest, and to sit down and talk about these issues that, hey, Bernie, you're known as a, as a proponent of family farms. You're known as a proponent of solving the climate crisis. You're known as a proponent of wanting to solve the immigration crisis instead of resorting to just you know rhetoric about it. Uh, here, we think we have a major solution. And we were making some headway, but uh, lo and behold, as was predicted by a bunch of our friends, uh, the Democratic establishment strong-armed Bernie, and we got someone who was just, uh, you know, pretty much the same as uh, Trump was in terms of food and farming uh, and climate crisis. And uh, so we had to, we've had to look elsewhere for short-term uh, solutions. And I think the short-term solution is that we've got a lot of people who don't like their money, their, their savings accounts, their pension funds, their retirement funds, their, the funds from their uh, you know, institution or university invested in degeneration and destroying the planet, fossil fuels and industrial agriculture, industrial medicine. So we're working very hard now to cultivate that 1% of the uh, investor class who actually have their heads on straight and try to get them to actually invest in regeneration instead of degeneration. So to not only divest from fossil fuels, but to divest from industrial agriculture and to divest from industrial medicine. And let's start fixing the problem. Wow. So and we we're making, you know, some headway at the local level at to some extent at the state level, but we have a long way to go, no matter what country you're living in at the federal level. So uh, I think we're poised uh, to look at the situation, which is that we are in a terrible situation in terms of our health 
uh, in the in the United States and the industrialized world and most of the world. I mean, how is it that we have four times as many uh, chronic diseases, you know, uh, in the population now that we had 40 years ago? Why is it that half of our kids are suffering from one chronic disease? Why is it that so many people have gone to the hospital or died uh, from this biological trigger called SARS-CoV-2? Well, the answer in large part is we're eating poison food and we live in a poison environment and we have a culture that manufactures stress and unhappiness and anxiety and fear rather than uh, promoting cooperation and well-being and, you know, everything that we know is right. Yeah. So we've got a big challenge ahead of us. I do believe that we're poised uh, to move ahead rapidly and solve these. The problem is the 800 pound, you know, uh, Franken virus in the room. Yeah, that let's talk it. about that. I definitely want to get into um, some of the things you focus on about COVID. And I know we've talked when we got together recently um, about the gain of fun function aspect of this uh, manipulated virus. And I know that's a very important aspect of this. And just like, you know, with the basics, the PCR test is inaccurate. It was never created for anything like this. The, um, the effective treatments are being blocked and people who use them effectively are being censored and deplatformed. But also, you know, this issue of, of the gain of function research, I know that's really near and dear to your heart. So what's the update on that? What have you um, discovered or what advancement have you made in um, getting people to realize that that is what has taken place? Yeah, well, a little background, 30 years ago, some of us in the food movement and the environmental movement uh, started realizing that this new technology of genetic engineering was right on the horizon. That in, uh, so we, we set up a group called the Biotechnology Working Group, which was an international group of scientists, environmentalists, and food activists. And I was privileged to be one of the charter members of this. And I remember uh, our early discussions about, hey, we're about to have these gene-spliced foods and crops on the market that haven't been properly tested. There's all these warning signs that, that uh, fooling with nature, playing with God uh, is dangerous, not only to, to human health, but to the environment. And some of the scientists were from a group, little known group at the time in Cambridge, Massachusetts called the Council on Responsible Genetics. And what they were warning us in these early meetings was that we not only have to worry about genetically engineering our food and our crops, but this technology is gonna enable scientists to engineer viruses and bacteria and microorganisms and insects and it's going to be a continuation of this little known biological arms race uh, that's been going on since the end of the Second World War. And so they said at the time, we need to educate the public, not just about the dangers of genetically engineered food and crops and the advantages of organic and natural living, but we need to warn about this mad science Mm -hmm. where people can create biological weapons that are uh, as, as scary as the atomic bomb. Mm. And so fast forward to, uh, to 2019, we did not educate the public in the way that we should have about the, the dangers of genetically engineering viruses and bacteria. Uh, the anti-war movement, uh, you know, way back in the 50s was picketing outside Fort Detrick, Maryland at the U.S. military arms base. The Quakers were there every day for mm. uh, several years and very few people paid attention to this. So, so we had not done our job as the anti-war movement. We had not done our job as the anti-GMO movement to warn people about what was going on in the United States in across the world. I mean, there was a scientist at the University of Wisconsin in 2015 who took that early bird flu, uh, which 
you know, had a high mortality rate, but it was very difficult to spread among humans. I mean, there was a panic created in 2009 around the bird flu. Some of you uh, may remember that. Uh, but these, this scientist was actually taking that bird flu, which really didn't spread readily among humans, and he proceeded to aerosolize it to where it would, uh, it would travel through the air. And I mean, just in comparison, uh, that, that bird flu is about 100 times more lethal than SARS-CoV-2. Okay, this was happening. There were scientists in the Netherlands doing the same thing. Uh, we went through the, the uh, 2001 uh, 9 11 attacks, followed by the anthrax attacks. Didn't we notice that the, uh, even the government had to finally admit, oh, yeah, this was weaponized anthrax that appeared to come from Fort Detrick? Maryland. They, they tried to pin it on, you know, the lone mad scientist. Uh, they tried a couple of them. That didn't really work. The second one they were, they were pointing their finger at killed himself before it could come to trial. But we did not pay attention to all these warning signals. Little, the American public did not know that there, this kind of mad science was going on. Okay, so, so yeah. COVID breaks out. Uh, you know, it actually looks like it broke out in September uh, of 2019, but no one, no one knew this at the time. Uh, all the signs, the early signs, uh, were covered up by the Chinese government, by the U.S. government, and others. So and we also, all learned. Also, I, I also think just before you go into that, um, and I'll include myself in this category. You know, as this information was coming out, I think there's. I personally and many others were in a comfortably numb state. You know, I, I learned about nutrition early on, and then I learned about environmental toxicity, and then I learned about the role vaccines were playing in, in uh, causing autism and all kinds of health problems for our children, and then genetically modified, and then glyphosate, and now we've got these genetically engineered viruses and all this mad science, as you call it. And I, I you know, I could beat myself up and, and, and reprimand a lot of people. But the good news is, like you're speaking of now, we are waking up to all of this and it's a lot to handle. But I think if the COVID situation, which you're about to describe, had not happened, uh, we'd still be comfortably numb in our, you know, in our state of denial. And so there is a positive aspect to this whole explosion of the truth that's coming out. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but. No, yeah. that's, you, you have to interrupt me because I'll go on like a, <laughs> uh, a maniac or, or whatever you want to describe me. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we did gloss over things like Lyme disease that happened before COVID. I mean, it's just like all of a sudden, it wasn't it really strange that this, this pandemic of Lyme disease starts spreading and why did it start I was at first uh, observed in old Lyme, Connecticut, and you know, was it a was it just a, a coincidence that uh, you know a few thousand yards across Long Island Sound uh, there was a U.S. military biological weapons station, uh, dual use because it was a U.S. Department of Agriculture and military, uh, who were experimenting with, among other things, weaponizing fleas. Uh, now, the excuse they used was, well, we, we need to weaponize fleas and develop uh, vaccines uh, for these weaponized fleas and insects because the Russians or the Chinese might develop them first and attack us with them, you know. So they were messing around. I mean, we had used weaponized insects in the, in the Korean War uh, in 1950. To 53, we had used them on the North Koreans and on the Chinese soldiers there. Uh, mm -hmm. We had used weapons, uh, you know, engineered viruses and so on on livestock, pigs and others in Cuba and in uh, countries, the satellites of the uh, Soviet Union. You know, hardly anyone knew about this. So yeah. another then it, came to us. then it came to us. Yeah. <laughs> Ebola. You know, I remember, well, that was during the Obama administration. There was a 
brief panic about Ebola and they were going to develop a vaccine and inject us all with it. And no one ever paid attention to how come these Ebola cases always seem to originate right near where there was a, uh, a uh, biomedical yeah. institution, biodefense lab in Sierra Leone or other countries and so on. And, you know, I guess we brushed aside as conspiracy theories what a lot of people talked about in the 80s was like, how did HIV start, you know? I mean, is there is it a coincidence that this monkey virus uh, that ended up in the uh, in the some of the polio shots and and so on uh, was being experimented uh, was being used in experiments and so on and so forth. So, come January, we hear we start to hear. Oh yeah, there's this uh, uh, you know uh, harsh uh, form of pneumonia. A new kind of pneumonia that's broken out in China and so on and so forth. And uh, so they're saying, well, uh, yeah. And they didn't tell us, oh, by the way, we've known this for five months, you know, and the CIA and, and the uh, Trump administration officials also knew about this too, because we had these military games. We had the world military games, which were like the Olympics in Wuhan in October of 2019, several months before there was any uh, mention of this in the press. And all these soldiers went back after the games uh, and they came down with COVID-19 symptoms. Uh, mm -hmm. But somehow we didn't hear about this either in the US or the other countries where these uh, people who had gone to the games had participated. We didn't hear until later, we didn't hear until June of 2020. Well. There's a strange thing happening that in the Wuhan Institute of Virology and the associated labs around it in Wuhan, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of, of uh, cell phone calls are made every day, you know, on a regular basis. Obviously, the CIA and other intelligence agencies are listening in, uh, you know, just like they listen in and monitor to our calls. Well, all of a sudden in October, there was a period where the calls stopped, you know, from the Wuhan lab. Well, why would that happen? How would you go from thousands of cell phone calls being made a day out of these buildings uh, to very few or none? Uh, satellite photography showed, well, the parking lots were uh, empty around Wuhan there were police roadblocks, you know. And what do you think was going on? What do you think was happening? Well, I, I think what was going on is they, they knew there had been a lab release. Mm -hmm. And because on September 12th, 2019, uh, they, the Chinese took the database of all their viruses off the internet, September the 12th, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, there were already reported there was chatter on uh, ch uh, Chinese social media. I mean, doctors and others were starting to talk about, well, there's this, this, this uh, viral disease right. uh, and so on. So I think that the, it looks like this was circulating uh, before the Chinese realized what was happening. They, they scrubbed the internet September 12, 2019. It kept spreading. They mm -hmm. went ahead and allowed the military games to proceed. Uh, starting to spread around the country. I guess they, in their hubris, they must have thought they could keep this undercover. Uh, they silenced, you know, Chinese doctors and, and hospital workers, nurses, practitioners who were, you know, talking on uh, social media about, wow, wow, there's all these people coming in with this, you know, new right. form of pneumonia we haven't seen. So they covered it up. Fauci and all, all of them uh, apparently were quite aware of what was going on. I mean, they were filing for patents, among other things, right. on the vaccine, uh, excuse me, on the virus, on the vaccine. So we don't hear about it, the general public, until uh, really in January and late January. Uh, and it's presented to us as, oh, these, these icky customs that Asian people have of you know, 
killing wild animals in yeah. markets and eating bats and right. and other uh, animals that you know us civilized people would never do right so yeah. we need to uh, and they claimed it came out of the wet market and there were people immediately i remember the first interview i read was february 14th uh, 2020 when mercola dr mercola mercola.com interviewed dr francis boyle who's a world authority uh, i i had you know heard of him read his stuff for years before a world authority on biological weapons uh francis boyle said immediately uh this this is the product of a lab release uh where they were they were souping up viruses right. uh, and they call them dual use this is something we need to become much more familiar with in the united states what does dual use mean well it means the wuhan lab was being funded not just by the chinese national uh, academy of sciences it was being funded by the chinese military as well it mm -hmm. means that that U.S. money was going in there too. Uh, both Pentagon money was going uh, into this type of research. The Chinese uh, scientists had the biggest collection of bat viruses in the world, but they didn't have the complete know-how how to genetically engineer these viruses, these bat viruses, coronaviruses, so that they would uh, be able to uh, infect humans and spread readily. Uh, we needed our help with that. And Ralph Barrick, among others, at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, a longtime collaborator with uh, Shei-Shing Li, the bat, bat woman from Wuhan, uh, they were sending back uh, virus material and, and programming and so on. And they came up with uh, viruses. They published this in, in journals, which now everyone's hearing as far back as 2015, describing how you could take a coronavirus in bats that really wouldn't wouldn't spread in humans uh, and make it uh, highly right. transmissible. Right, Ronnie, are you are you struggling with how I am struggling with this? I assume you are too. With how so many of our colleagues did not do this kind of deep dive into what was really going on, and instead. They succumb to the fear and the propaganda. And even our colleagues in the natural uh, health movement, the holistic movement, the integrative functional medicine, all these really bright people who were looking at things we were talking about before, climate change and the chemicalization of our food and um, you know, all the ways to live naturally. Um, many of them have uh, been advocating uh, to not look at all that that you just <laughs> explained and instead just take this experimental toxic jab that we now know is, I think it's up to 16,000 deaths. The CDC is report, reporting, and we know that's very underreported number, and over 700,000 adverse reactions caused by this jab. So how do you, how do you, how do you handle that? I, I've really struggled with that myself um, because I've respected so many of these people who are so bright and such leaders in the natural health movement. And they just bought it hook, line and sinker and never did the research that you just reported about the origin of this um, COVID scam. And, uh, and, and they went ahead and not only took the injection, but they're advocating it for their for their patients, for their network of, of people they influence. So how do you how do you explain that, justify it, handle it? Well, I mean, people treated us in the beginning, they're the only people talking about the lab release were Mercola and Organic Consumers Association, some of our uh, allies in Europe, GM Watch. Uh, but there were very few people looking into this the bulletin of atomic scientists who had earlier done research on uh just how unsafe all these these dual use military biomedical labs across the world were how there had been you know numerous there's an accident every two days for example in the united states in these labs uh, not to mention that they're now all over the world so uh people didn't want to focus uh on this at, at, at first, except mm -hmm. 
people who already had some experience with this. But the more we got into this, uh, the more evidence was uncovered. And I think what people need to, the natural health community at first thought, well, the origins, it's not that important how this started. What's important is that we, we uh, debate uh, the way the response is being carried out and so on and so forth, and that we focus in on various aspects of this. Uh, but we have maintained and still maintain <clears throat> that it's very important that we get the public to, to understand that COVID-19 was not an act of God or a natural thing. This was the creation of a crazed arms race that's been going on for 70 years that we need to put a halt to. The reason this virus is so peculiar uh, in that, you know, what it does to older, older people and, and poor health or just people with a lot of uh, health problems, this virus attacks uh, different parts of the body in a way that previous viruses didn't. Uh, and that's because it was genetically engineered uh, to be a weapon. Uh, and it's like, if we will acknowledge that, it explains some of the difficulties that we've had getting the full picture on this. But what really concerns me uh, even the most is that the powers that be who knew uh, this was gonna happen uh, because they had a planning event, event 201 in October in the United States, organized by Bill Gates, John Hopkins School of Public Health, Mm -hmm. uh, the ex-head of the CIA under Trump was there, heads of, of uh, Silicon Valley corporations and so on. They, they uncannily predicted this pandemic before it was publicly announced. So they knew it was going to happen. But the scary thing is how they took advantage of this to uh, not only become billionaires for experimental drugs that they like to say are vaccines, uh, but they experimented as the World Economic Forum pointed out, this is the biggest social control experiment in history, you know? I mean, the lockdowns, the restrictions on, on travel, the restrictions on, you know, the masking, the closing of schools, the closing of businesses, they were able to use the panic engendered by this lab engineered virus to accumulate more wealth and more control than they've ever had in modern times. Uh, what scares me is that this kind of research is still going on. In Pittsburgh today, as we talk, uh, scientists are experimenting with souping up the SARS-CoV-2 virus uh, with things like anthrax in it, you know, making it more dangerous, making it more infectious. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, do you think that, that scientists in Iran and North Korea and China and Russia and Israel and other, other powerful nations are not looking at this, looking at the fact that the Chinese government is accusing the US military of starting this. And now it's becoming clear that the Chinese military had a hand right. in this research. So we have a bad situation on our hands. We need to put these so-called gain of function experiments to rest. Right. And exactly. of all the, okay, we, we point out in the natural health movement, the vaccine safety movement, uh, that while the country's really polarized in the United States around all these issues, uh, but here's an issue where the majority of Republicans and Democrats now agree they believe that contrary to what the Trump administration and the Biden administration national security officials have let us know, they believe this was a lab release. Uh, and they, they believe uh, when they're prevented with, presented with the information, this wasn't just the Chinese. This was an international joint U.S.-Chinese effort. Dr. Fauci, Collins, all of them were up to their necks in funding this dual use research. So we have grounds now to move forward on one aspect of COVID-19 that's extremely important. The problem is, is that, you know, it's not 
it's not the Republicans versus the Democrats. It's establishment Republicans and establishment uh, Democrats are both withholding the information. You know, the Chinese military, the U.S. Pentagon. I mean, no one is telling us the full story. Right. That right. if they would just stand up and say, look, we made a terrible mistake, just like atomic hardest bomb. Hardest thing for anybody to do. The hardest and, thing for anybody to do. But don't hold your breath. But yeah. to me, it's very important that the natural health movement uh, start educating people about this mad science. It's very important that the anti-war movement uh, and the, the, the environmentalists and people who care about food and health, look at this. It's like if Big Pharma has been up to their necks with the Pentagon and with the CIA, working with their counterparts in China and other countries, weaponizing these viruses, concealing from us what they had done, concealing past disasters like Lyme disease, like Ebola, like probably HIV. It's just like, so you trust these people? Anything they say, yeah. uh, I would really, I don't trust the Pentagon. I don't trust the People's Liberation Army of China. I don't trust Big Pharma. I don't trust the establishment Democrats nor the Republicans. Everyday people, I do think, are willing to respond to evidence and truth. Uh, and, uh, you know, we can give it to them. I think there's other aspects of the official story that are collapsing also pretty quickly. And one of them is, one of them is the fact that people who have had COVID and recovered or who had COVID and had very mild symptoms uh, are, you know, protected from getting it again uh, for the most part and better than what these experimental drugs are doing. I think we're, we can really convince the public of that. I think we can convince the public, look, we got 112 million young people in America, you know, who are pretty healthy, who have you know, pretty intact immune systems, most of them. Uh, and they don't need uh, protection beyond that. If they, as they come into contact with this COVID, which they are, because it's genetically engineered to where everyone comes into contact with this eventually, uh, they're going to fight it off. Just like healthy people. Right. How many, how many people do you know who are really healthy, who eat organic food all the time, who take supplements, who get outside, who have a positive view of things. It's just like, how many people do you know who have gotten seriously ill and died from this? Well, it's a hell of a lot less than the, yeah. the seasonal yeah. flu and so on. So. Exactly. I think we just have to penetrate the propaganda machine that is constantly perpetuating this false information and these, these lies. And people you know, there's a saying, it's easy to be conned, it's hard to accept that you've been conned. And uh, I think that's a big part of it is people um, are now opening a little bit to some of the things you're talking about, but uh, they shut back down again because they don't want to admit that we've all been um, under this spell and illusion and it's been generated by mainstream media and propaganda. But I know we don't have a lot of time left, so I want to I want to focus for a minute on a quote you have in your book by Chief Seattle, that without a vision, the people will perish, and that is such a beautiful quote. And I believe you have a vision for the future. I know I do, and many people are now. One of the beautiful things about the Enough movement is, you know, we're drawing that line in the sand with that sentiment of I've had enough. I've had enough of the BS. I've had enough of the data manipulation, the corruption, the lies. And now, now what? Now we look forward to a, a new earth, a brighter future, a freer, saner world. So um, how do you direct your thinking and, and help people understand that this is all going to go, it's, all, it's going to collapse. It's an antiquated, corrupt system that has played itself out. And now we've had enough and more and more people are accepting that and, and stating it and speaking out about it. So 
what's that vision that we need to have so we don't perish? Well, I think we have to start from where people are at. You know, it's like there's no way around that. You start with where, with what someone agrees, whether it's the, that this was a lab release, not, a, you know, not a wet market or not a natural occurrence uh, and build from there. Uh, or in the, in the food movement, we all understand that the reason we're involved in organic food and farming and regenerative and organic food and farming is because it's better for people's health. We want people to be healthy. We want to be healthy. We want our families. Well, I think we need to discuss how is it that we live in a society where they're telling us it's normal for the majority of the public to be overweight, to be plagued by chronic disease, uh, to be eating 60% of their diet, ultra processed you know, foods that are basically poison, uh, to be accepting the fact that, well, yeah, they're spraying pesticides all over everything. And, you know, these, these forever chemicals seem to be leaking out of uh, military bases and industrial compounds into our water. They're going into the sewage sludge. They're spread over all the non-organic farms in the country. We've got to realize it's like, this is not normal. You know? yeah. What's normal is when everyone has access to healthy organic food, uh, when they know how to cook it, they know how to appreciate it, when they're reconnected to the land, when rural and urban America aren't so separated and so on. So let's, let's start pointing out that, let's not argue about whether uh, COVID-19 is a hoax so much with people who are really have fixed opinions on both sides. Uh, let's argue about, let's look at who has been really harmed by this. It's people in poor health, okay? And it's people who have had a lifetime in most cases of eating poor food and being exposed to toxins in the environment, you know, and, and are taking too many pharmaceutical drugs instead of addressing the root cause. And, exactly. let's, and, and, let's, and let's raise our sights and say, right. why don't we have free organic food for every kid in America? Explain right. that to me. Exactly. You know? and, and this is such a great opportunity for those of us who are into natural health to educate people. You know, you look at the three top comorbidities with COVID, people really they got super seriously ill or passed away from COVID. The comorbidities are obesity, and stress and anxiety and, and diabetes. So what a golden opportunity for our public health system, which I know is also corrupted and never gonna do this, so it's up to us, but what a golden opportunity for those of us who understand what true health means and what comprises true health. Like you said, you know, growing some food and eating organic and knowing how to cook healthy food and knowing how to combine food and getting fresh filtered water and, you know, just getting all the toxins out of our, our lives and our diets and our, our personal care products. And um, this is such, a, such an important time for us to cut through the propaganda and the lies and the censorship as much as we can and truly educate people about all this stuff we've been talking about for 30 years, rather than succumbing to the fear and buying that the buying into the new normal is uh, is normal, which it's not. We have to rise above that. And really, um, I'm into shouting from the rooftops that what really makes people healthy and what will will optimize their health and minimize their risks, especially as we move into the fall and winter months. You know, uh, so, there's so many dire predictions about this fall and winter, and and so here locally, we're sponsoring holistic, truly holistic uh, doctors to come and, and talk about what people can do, whether they receive the vaccine and they want to minimize the health consequences of that, or they just want to protect themselves from getting infections or minimize the symptoms once they do occur. So we're doing that on a local level and we're, um, we're going to be sharing that, uh, what we're learning from this, this organization we're putting together. Uh, this initiative to um, 
bring the leaders of the local health and freedom groups together to collaborate to put this type of information forward because I, I'm so enamored with how you've managed to build these really big collaborative efforts. Um, I am still struggling with, with that on a national and a local level, um, but we just have to keep pursuing because not one person has all the answers, not one organization has all the answers. But like Bobby Kennedy says, if we stand shoulder to shoulder, we can bring them down. And that's really what this time to me is all about is finding out what the truth is and not being afraid to speak out about it and, and connecting with others who know the truth and then taking action together to, um, to bring forward this new beautiful world our, heart know is, our hearts know is possible as Charles Eisenstein says, one of my favorite books. So um, I think I, I just can't thank you enough, Ronnie, for being one of the most, the fiercest pursuer of the truth that I know of and uh, I have met to date. Um, you have done such amazing work and you're such a wealth of knowledge and your books are absolutely a must for everyone to have if they wanna understand regenerative farming and land preservation and all the things that come with uh, regeneration, uh, regenerative world and then the truth about COVID-19. So do you have any last uh, message or uh, tips for our audience on what they can do moving forward to create a healthier, saner, freer life for themselves and their loved ones? Well, I think, I think unfortunately, we, the worst might still be ahead for a while, but I do believe that the, this is going to pass, and if we can prevent them from releasing another, uh, you know, virus out of out of one of these labs uh, long enough to stop this mad science, uh, we can start to climb out of this uh, situation we're in. But it's it's sad to see how this politicization of science and health and food, uh, just how this fatalism. I mean. Like when I tell people, look, I, I think the organic movement, it's great that we're a $60 billion industry in the US, that we're six or 7% of all the food sold in grocery stores, 10% of all the fruits and vegetables. But it's like, we don't have time to grow one or 2% a year in terms of market share. Uh, we need a great uh, increase. And if food is indeed the best medicine and we love our kids and our grandkids uh, and we want them to be able to learn in school and be happy and healthy, well, let's start programs to where we provide not just free lunch and breakfast programs for low-income kids. Uh, let's have lunch and breakfast programs for all students uh, free of charge where we help farmers locally and regionally produce the kind of healthy food, where we help the, the school workers learn how to prepare these and the kids. Uh, and let's do the same thing for nursing homes. You know, nursing homes are, are sad places, you know? It's like, let's turn them into happy places where mm -hmm. people have sunshine and get outdoors, where the food, you know, where people want to go visit grandma or grandpa because the food is so good you know and people are so happy you know the same thing for we got insurance companies now we got health hmos we got all these people saying you know what it'd be cheaper to just deliver free organic food to people on medicare or medicaid and to and to old folks homes than to pay the healthcare costs of them eating, you know, uh, institutional chemical food. Right. It's just like, this is not too expensive. This is cheaper than what we're doing right now. And wow. I mean, do we want, do we want America someday again? Like when I was growing up, you know, we were trying to be excel at physical sports, you know, at science at academics. It's like, we should be among the leaders in the world in mm -hmm. academic performance, you know, in physical fitness and so on. Uh, and we don't have to just say, 
well, I guess we missed that boat. Uh, we're going to eat junk food the rest of our lives, and we're going to have one of these messenger RNA vaccines that are going to, you know, pop up. We'll use these for cancer. We'll use these for depression, you know, so on and so forth. Just get your booster all the time. Just get in line. And <laughs> no, there's a better way to do it. We know what it is. Let's do it. And those people, those young people in the climate movement have to realize that we're probably not going to move forward uh, on solving the climate crisis the way we would have, you know, if we hadn't had COVID-19 because of the behavior of the climate champions on COVID. Mm, it's like we're right. going to have, the country's going to shift back to being controlled for the most part by people who are climate deniers or who are in bed with the fossil fuel industries. It's just like, hey, Democrats can't claim that women have a right to choose abortion and then say people don't have a right to choose uh, injecting, you know, uh, pharma, uh, experimental drugs. And on the other hand, Republicans can't say, yes, you have a right to choose whether you're injected or not but women don't have a right to choose. It's right. just like, we need to evaluate. We don't all have to agree, but we do have to uh, agree to, you know, rationally discuss these things and move forward. And, and our future, our children's future are the most precious thing we have. Absolutely. And right now we're squandering their future. I mean, my son, you know, I have a 23-year-old son, you know, I talk to him regularly about these issues. And then, you know, I see a, I see a survey last week, 44% of youth across the world think there's no hope. You know, oh, yes. the climate crisis is not going to be solved because the, quote, adults are so busy fighting with one another, mm -hmm. you know, over all these other issues. That's so, so sad. We can change that. We are going to change it, uh, but we need to we need to uh, buck up our courage and uh, redouble our efforts. Reach out to people on the points we agree. Connect the dots and right. keep a positive outlook because uh, uh, we don't have any choice but to win uh, this great battle for global transformation. Our time is limited. Uh, but we can smile and enjoy it as we go because it's uh, it's uh, a lot more enjoyable to be solving the problem than just to be sitting back and getting depressed about it. Right. And what you think about comes about. So we have great power to create our reality. And collectively, we have incredible power if we all get on the same page and envision a better world. So uh, thank you, Ronnie. And, and, and how can people get more of your insights and wisdom besides your um, your books. I know you uh, they can join the Organic Consumer Association. You have a great newsletter that's so incredibly informative. Um, how do they connect with you? Just go to uh, organicconsumers.org, okay. uh, you know, and you can, uh, you can find us and subscribe to our newsletter because we have to put out two different kinds of newsletters and two different types of videos nowadays. One of them is censored uh, because social media has threatened to kick us off all the platforms that we have several million people on. Uh, if we talk about forbidden issues, they'll let us talk about lab origins now, but we still can't talk about the other stuff. So we put out two different newsletters. One gets promoted on Facebook and the Monopoly internet, uh, and the other is uncensored. So you need to go to our website, subscribe, it's free. Uh, same thing for regenerationinternational.org. And uh, we look forward to communicating with you on a regular basis from now on. Thank you, thank you so much. That was terrific. And uh, also, as I said, we're both participating in the enoughmovement.org. And I encourage people to go there and begin um, connecting with people all over the world. I give out these bracelets every day you can get them on the website. And I just go up to strangers and say, what have you had enough of? And invariably it opens a dialogue. It opens a conversation 
and we find some common ground to once again communicate as human beings like we should be doing. And uh, so thank you again, Ronnie. It's a pleasure to have you and see you. And thank you for all the great work you're doing to transform the world. Really appreciate it. Thank you and keep up the good work. Thanks so much.